You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. Well, amen, as children are making their way, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of, of Mark. The Gospel of Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. <laughs> Mark chapter 15. Thank you, Bethany. We appreciate, we appreciate all these that uh, step up to the plate and take care of these children. And boy, to Jeffrey and the praise team, what a, what a service it was already. Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. I've titled the message today, The Characters Around the Cross. And we'll be talking about that as we move through this service. Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. If you have your Bible there, your phone, your app, say amen. Amen. Very early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have them cry out, Pilate, to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with this one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged, beaten, and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns. They set it on him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff. They spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe, put on his own clothes onto him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. 
They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. They crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their head and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross. Save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land to the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathe his last the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry saw how he died he said surely this man was the son of God let's pray Lord we thank you we love you we give you all the honor and glory we stand in reverence and awe of who you are And Lord, we ask you now to speak to us through your word, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I don't know. Let me ask, how many of you have ever been to a Broadway musical? Anybody been to Broadway? Laney, you haven't been to Broadway. You the world traveler, have you? Have you been to Broadway? Okay. Laney is our... uh, uh, flight attendant who works with an airline industry so it's good to have you here today good to see you and your husband you know when you go to broadway it's always it's 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 a it's kind of a big moment sheila and i years ago celebrated an anniversary we went to new york city i was born in new york so i was kind of uh, it's my home state so anyway we went to new york city and we spent uh 10 days, nine nights, stayed around Central Park, stayed some of the time around uh, Times Square. We had the opportunity to go to a Broadway musical, and we went to see uh, Mary Poppins. Sheila wanted to see Mary Poppins. Our first time to experience Broadway. Sitting in there, the pageantry was unbelievable. The, it, was just, uh, it was just like, in some ways, it was like the movie, but so much better. And at a certain point, Mary Poppins, with her umbrella, flies across the crowd in the actual play. We're just mesmerized. 
And then afterwards, at the end of a Broadway musical, they introduce each of the characters, some of the peripheral players, you know, those, some of the smaller characters they introduce, and they keep getting builder and, uh, bigger and bigger till finally they're, and you're applauding, and then that person will drift back in character after character until finally you get to the principal characters, one being Mary Poppins and these that played uh, the other roles, and there's this thunderous round of applause as you celebrate. We went to other Broadway musicals. We saw The, the Little Mermaid. Uh, we saw Wicked. In fact, when I was in London, I saw Wicked. Jeffrey and I did. Uh, it's a strange twist on, on, if I remember, The Wizard of Oz, isn't it? And sometimes when a villain is introduced, you are trying to applaud, but there's a little bit of wanting to boo and a Broadway musical. Well, you know, as I began to work on this Easter message, I thought to myself, in some ways, this, what I just read a moment ago, is the greatest moment in human history. It's almost like a divine play that's being put before us of creation, the redemption of man, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's all kinds of characters that we see around the cross as each one of them are introduced. And I don't know about you, but I get certain feelings inside of me when I read these various characters, these people in Scripture. They bring certain responses. Some of the men and women in this that I read a moment ago, some of them are in hell right now. Some of them are in heaven. According to the writer of Hebrews chapter 12, I believe we are encompassed by those individuals who are now rooting us on as we run the race. But I want us to look at some of the characters around the cross this morning. And let's go ahead and get them over with. Let's go ahead and get them over with. with. Let, let's talk about Judas. You know, I don't know about you, but his life, when I, I thought about this, I wrote down, imagine all the hopes and dreams of his parents when, when he was born. His name Judas comes from the Old Testament name Judah, a biblical name, a good name. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. His name Judas also comes from Judas Maccabeus, who led one of the revolts during the intertestamental period of time. So I believe that when Judas was born, his parents were all excited about his birth. They had all kinds of hopes and dreams. And I can imagine as Judas began to grow, see this young man. Uh, years ago, when, when we were in Africa, Zimbabwe, and later even in England, when we were in Zimbabwe, though, we would show the Jesus film, the book of Luke, to, uh, to video. We would show the Jesus film, and the people in the language were Shona people. They spoke Shona. So the movie was in Shona. But when they introduced Judas... I would often look at Americans who would come to visit. I would say, listen, when they introduced Judas, you could be in a tribe in the middle of nowhere of Africa, but when they saw Judas, some of them had never heard the gospel before. They would always respond. His character, his demeanor was so different. You can imagine Judas growing up and one day coming to a crowd of people and listening as he was hearing Jesus for the first time. And at a certain point, Jesus points out Judas, selects him. I think that's fascinating. 
the Bible says that, in fact, at one point Jesus said these words. He said, have I not chosen you twelve? And one of you is the devil. He uses the Greek word there, eklegomai. It's a verb. It means that, that Jesus specifically chose Judas, Judas, as one of the disciples. It's interesting. He's called one of the twelve. And you may wonder, what, what happened to Judas? Do you remember when Mary came in at a certain point before Jesus' death? Do you remember what Mary did? When she came and she had that ointment, that spikenard, over 300 denarii is worth a year's wages, and she broke the flask and she poured it over his head and across his body, and then she knelt down and began to dry his feet with her hair. Do you remember that scene? And do you remember that Judas got angry and he exploded and he said, could, what a waste! Could this not have been, been given to the poor? And you remember what John said? John said the reason he got upset was because he was a what? He was a thief and he was stealing out of the purse. Judas. Mark tells us that the religious leaders were looking for a reason to arrest Jesus. They couldn't find anybody. They couldn't find a reason. They were looking for somebody inside the inner circle. Matthew tells us that Judas agreed that 30 pieces of silver and would betray Jesus with a kiss. Matthew also says that after Jesus is arrested and Jesus goes into a trial, it is at that point that conviction comes over Judas. And Judas takes those 30 pieces of silver that he had sold the Lord, he runs back to the temple, and the Bible said that he threw it at the, at the end of the temple. He threw it where the religious leaders were, and he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. And then the Bible said he went out, listen, everybody listen, and he hanged himself. You ever been to a suicide? I have. More than one. I've cleaned up after suicide. A man who committed suicide, a man, a brother, who went to his brother's home, he sat down on the front porch, put a shotgun in his head, and killed himself. Me and a deacon went and washed, cleaned up, and painted that house before the family ever got home. No hope. If Judas could come from the pit of hell, he would tell you and I that you and I have a golden opportunity to, to receive Christ. Judas rejected Christ. And why? He was filled, I broke down, he was filled with all kinds of greed, dishonesty, materialism. He couldn't get enough. He would rob anybody, everybody. He would sell out relationships for a dollar. He sold Jesus for a matter of 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed, he said, innocent blood. He committed suicide. But I thought to myself, how many of us do the same thing? You ever think about that? How many of us live for a dollar? You know, I remember one time speaking in a village somewhere in Africa, and I told them, I said, I just happen to have America's God in my pocket. Well, you have to understand where people practice idolatry and witchcraft, immediately, man, they all sat up and they were listening, they were tuned in, and then I said, I just happen to have America's God in my pocket. I'm lucky today, I got a 20. I don't know where that came from. Sheila must have, Sheila must have gave me my allowance. But in that moment, I pulled out a dollar and they knew exactly what I was saying. You see, the reality is, is Judas sold Jesus for, a, for money, and you, some of you sit here, and you live your life for your stuff. You're caught up in debt. 
You forfeit relationships for the fact of material possessions, and you can never get enough. You ever notice that? You can never get enough. The car you drive, the truck you have, the house you live in, it's never enough. You've got to have more and more. You see, that's covetousness, and that's what Judas's problem was. You remember the rich farmer? Jesus told the story of the rich farmer, and you remember that rich farmer? He had a bumper crop, and he had a problem. He had a bumper crop. He had more money. He had more than he knew what to do with. And you know what he did? He said, I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger barns. And then he said this, and I will say to my soul, Soul, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus said, Thou fool, even tonight thy soul will be required of thee. Had an opportunity to win a man who was a part of a gang to Christ. He came to Christ. One day he came in and we were sitting there discipling and talking and he was telling me about his four nephews. And he said, Brother Jeff, you don't understand. He said, my four nephews who live in this community get up every day just like an eight to five job. They get up, they go in their vehicle, and they go across the community to break into homes to steal. And he said, it grieves my soul. In my 40 plus years, nobody, no Christian, no church member, no pastor, no staff, no deacon, no Christian has ever wept more than that converted gang member did to Christ. He wept more than any human being I've ever seen in my life. Well, then we come to Pilate. The Bible calls him the Roman governor. He was a procurator. He's a historian said of Pilate that he vacillated. He was a shifting kind of political figure. He, uh, he, uh, a Pilate had stolen money out of the temple. He had raised a Roman symbol over the temple. In fact, people hated Pilate so much so that the Roman government finally brought Pilate back to Rome because the Jews hated him so much. Now, we all know the story of Pilate. Let me ask you, let me ask you, how many of you, would you raise your hand and say that you believe that Pilate thought Jesus was innocent? Raise your hand. (laughs) Hey, listen, I do. I think Pilate was doing everything that he could because he knew that Jesus was an innocent man. You know, what, you know what his wife said to him? In the middle of the trial, in the middle of Jesus standing in front of him with all the mob and the religious leaders, all of them clamoring to crucify him. His wife, listen, she called one of the servants and she said, you go to my husband and you tell him, leave that man alone. I have not slept all night. Boy, you know what I thought, ladies? Oh, how many times is a wife right? And they'll let you know it. A wife can let a husband know that she told him so by just looking at him. Sheila's got a look that says, I told you so. Can you imagine that woman on the day when Easter came and those Roman soldiers came in to Pilate and said, the body is gone, he's not here? And, the, and, the, and some of his followers are saying he's risen. You know what she said to Pilate? I told you so. You didn't leave him alone. 
You wouldn't leave him alone. You know what Pilate did? You know what historians say? This is what Pilate did for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life. You know how Pilate died, according to historians, according to the Roman historians? He was leaning over, washing his hands, and he fell into water, and he drowned. He died. Why? Pilate tried to bargain with the crowd. He even tried to negotiate with him. He said, listen, I tell you what, there's Barabbas. Do you know what Barabbas' name was? Barabbas' name was Barabbas Jesus. And what he was saying is, listen, I'll give you Barabbas Jesus or I'll give you Jesus the Christ. Which Jesus do you want? And the crowd said, give us Barabbas, because that's what lost man does. But Pilate sought to get along with the crowd, and I thought to myself, you know, some of us in this room, you live your life to fit in and be a part of the crowd. You want to be a part of the crowd. You want to conform. You know, you ever watch a chameleon? You know a chameleon, a little old lizard? They're just a strange thing, and they're moving now, springtime. But if you put a chameleon here, he'll be the color of this brown. If you put a chameleon here, he'll be the color of this carpet. If you put a chameleon on a bright green leaf, he'll turn bright green. Do you know there's some Christians that they've learned how to do that? They just blend in. They just fit. They value that a boy more than being right. You know what Pilate wanted? Pilate wanted to fit in. He wanted to be accepted. He just wanted to get along with the crowd, and it didn't matter what he had to sell to do it, even if he had to sell out Jesus Christ, who he knew to be innocent. Well, then we come to a man by the name of Herod Antipas. You know what Pilate did at one point? Pilate finds out that Jesus is a Galilean. So immediately Pilate says, I know what I'll do. I'll send him to Herod Antipas. I'll send him to my political rival over here. And the Bible said they were enemies. After this, they become friends. Let me tell you about Herod Antipas, this politician, this individual. He was the one that had John the Baptist put to death. You remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist had confronted Herod with his adulterous relationship with his brother Philip's wife. In other words, he had Philip's wife in the palace and, and he was in an adulterous relationship and John the Baptist confronted Herod with that. And if you remember, there came a point that, that Herod's wife, Hero well, his girlfriend, his live-in, Philip's wife, Herodias, said, listen, I'm sick and tired of that man of God. Arrest him. Shut him up. And Herod Antipas arrested John the Baptist, threw him into the dungeon, and the dungeon was in the base of the palace. And do you know what Herod Antipas would do when Herodias didn't know it? He'd sit down there and he would listen to John the Baptist. And he'd listen to him for hours. And now we're mesmerized by this man of God. Till one day, the Bible says that Herod held a great banquet, a great party, and in the middle of that, in a drunken stupor when he was filled with lust, his stepdaughter Salome came in and she began to dance, this very provocative dance. And before long, Herod Antipas is filled with just a raging lust for his own stepdaughter. And finally, he looks at her and says, I'll give you half the kingdom. 
Just say the word. Salome goes back to Herodias and says to Herodias, her mother, she says, John Herod has said I'll give, he'll give half his kingdom to me if I'll just gratify his lust. And Herodias says this, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And the Bible said that he grieved Herod. He was bothered by it. But listen, because he didn't want to lose face in the crowd, much like Pilate, because he would not compromise. He, I mean, because he did compromise with the crowd. He gave in, and he had his swordsmen go and cut the head of John the Baptist off of his shoulders, and then they took that head and they carried it on a platter to Herodias. And guess who carried it? Salome. Pilate sends Jesus to Herod. Herod dresses him in a purple robe, puts a crown on him, puts a scepter in his hand, and begins to mock him. And Herod wants to see Jesus perform a miracle. Everyone listen. Everyone listen. If Jesus called Herod, a little bit of political here, he called him a fox, which means he was deceptive and dishonest. But we got a lot of that, don't we? The end result of it is, is that Jesus, listen to this, he never said one word in front of Pilate, not one word absolute silence listen everybody listen closely write exodus 14 14 put it on your refrigerator and learn now there are times in your life and in my life when we need to shut our mouth and remain silent and let god speak for us it's what god told moses in exodus 14 14 but there's herod herod loved his lust he loved his addiction he loved sex. He loved drugs. He loved alcohol. He was, he, listen, he loved pornography. He loved all of these things. They meant more to him, and that may be you today. Love your addictions more than you love Jesus Christ. Every time you and I say no, well, let me move on. Then you got the religious people, the crowd, the mob, scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders. Jesus said these people strain at gnats and let camels go through. He accused them of binding heavy loads on the people and wouldn't lift a finger to help them. They knew everything. They knew the law. They knew everything, but they did not know Jesus. And that may be some of you here today. The reality is, you know the Bible, you know, all, you know the right answers to everything, you know all the details, but the reality is, is that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and you know it. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these that were hatching this unbelievable plot to basically convict Jesus and to take him out, the reality is, the reality is, is they didn't know Jesus. They knew everything but Jesus. You know, sometimes people only come to church on Easter. I don't even understand that. Sheila drug me to Belks yesterday. No, she didn't drag me to Belks. In fact, really, she was doing something for me. She just gave me that. I told you so. Look, just then means, buddy, if you want to sleep in my house tonight, you better get this straight. Actually, we bought a jacket, I didn't like it, and I sent her back to Belks with the jacket. But 
the reality is belts was packed. People were shopping like no telling what, and I was thinking to myself, how many people today are getting ready to go to church tomorrow but won't be back again for a very, very long time? The reality is, is there's no spiritual fruit in their life. They care nothing about the Bible. They care nothing about sitting in a Sunday school class and learning with a group of other people. They care nothing about the preaching from the pulpit. They care nothing about the family of God, the things of God. It's just simply a formality that I'm going to go through today and then I'm going to go back and live my life the way I want to. Wow. Do you know Jesus? Well, then there's Simon of Cyrene. We've got to move quickly. I love this man. Mark talks about him. Jesus is making his way up to Golgotha, the place of the skull. He's been beaten by the Roman lictor. The Roman lictor, that Roman soldier, used what they called the cat of nine tails. It was a whip, and it was a whip braided with metal and with bone and with rock, and it was a whip that that Roman lictor could wrap around the rib cage of a man, and when he pulled it, he could actually pull the skin loose. A lot of people didn't survive that. Jesus had gone through that. He had been whipped. He had been beaten. His flesh was hanging bare. And then he was required to carry what was 250 to 300 pound cross beam. He didn't carry the whole cross. He carried a cross beam up to a place on the Golgotha, but he carried this cross beam that weighed up to about 300 pounds. Because of the loss of blood and the weight of that, there comes a moment where Simon of Cyrene is picked by a Roman soldier. Now, when a Roman soldier looked at a man and told you to do something, you had to do it. And he looks at this man, and this is a black man. This is a man from Africa. He looks at this black man, this African, and he says, You carry the cross. Simon didn't argue at all. He came up under, can you imagine that scene when this powerful African man reached up under there and took that two, three hundred pound cross beam, lifting it up off of the body of Jesus Christ and looking at the Lord and saying, I've got this. Wow. Was he converted? You better believe it. His two sons, Alexander and Rufus, became leaders in the New Testament church. His son, Rufus, Paul talks about in Romans. His son, who was with Simon of Cyrene, who were watching, his two children were watching this big African man as he was taking that 300-pound crossbeam. They were watching their dad. The whole family was converted to Christ. In fact, Paul says in Romans, he said to the church at Rome, he said, greet Rufus, it's the son of Simon of Cyrene. Paul said he's chosen in the Lord. And listen to what Paul said about Simon of Cyrene's wife. This is powerful. He said, she has been like a mother to me. Isn't that powerful? Wow. You know, a lot of people today would say that Christianity is the white man's religion. That's a lie hatched out of the pit of hell. First of all, it comes out of the Middle East. It's not a black man or a white man's religion, and it comes out of the brown man. Middle Easterner. Africa's always been on the heart of God. Moses came out of the continent of Africa. Jesus, when he was threatened by Herod the Great... 
was actually sent by God's direction to Africa. Many Jews believe the Ark of the Covenant has been hidden away into Ethiopia, into Africa. But the liberal left today has made the African-American believe that somehow that Christianity is the white man's religion. My friend, that is out of the pit of hell. Just like Planned Parenthood kills 37% of the abortions are black. Just like this man-made drug right now is affecting the black community and just like some political parties are dismantling many african-american cities across this country such as the city we live in right now this is not a not a white man's religion this is the good news the gospel of jesus christ for black white rich poor all ages then we come to the thieves i love these thieves we learn so much from them. The Bible says, Matthew tells us that both thieves ranted and railed. Jesus hanging on the cross in the middle there. And on each side of him is thieves. These, these men have lived their life. They probably were murderers, rapists, uh, insurrectionists. They probably had all kinds of criminal acts. And the Bible says, Matthew said, they railed, they ranted, they cursed Jesus. But Luke, in his account, tells us that one thief grows quiet. He quits cursing. He quits ranting. His friend is still cursing and ranting. And finally, this thief looks at his friend as they're dying. And he says, you need to be quiet. This man has done nothing wrong. We are guilty. He is not. And you remember that scene when the thief... And you have to understand this. You die, you suffocate. That's why they break the legs. Do you know what they do at a certain point? And because the Sabbath was approaching, a Roman soldier had a club, and he walked up like a massive baseball bat, and he was, he was finely tuned. He knew exactly how to do it. They had killed over 30,000 Jews. They knew how to crucify. You know what he did? They would break the legs so that they could no longer push themselves up and gasp for a breath, and it caused them to suffocate and die. They did not break the legs of Jesus because the prophet said that he did not have a bone broken because you could not take the atoning sacrifice of a lamb. A lamb had to be without blemish and it could not, its bones could not be broken. Jesus instead by a Roman soldier, his side was pierced. It went up into the pericardium, the sac around the heart, that fluid around that heart and that's why blood and fluid came out. Every cardiologist has studied the credibility of that act right there. This thief says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom and listen to what Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. What have we always said? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. If I drop dead right now, before my body, before my body hits this floor, I'll be standing in the presence of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And some of you in this room cannot say that, and some of you watching this by, by live stream can't say it either. You don't know. This thief was saved. Joseph of Arimathea. 
this rich man, Luke 23, 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good, upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. And imagine Joseph of Arimathea, he goes to Pilate, he goes to the Roman officials, and he asks for the body of Jesus. And I thought to myself, this character who literally is up there taking the body of Jesus Christ down off the cross and putting him in a borrowed tomb in his tomb. I wrote down here, imagine as he takes down the precious body of Jesus Christ wrestling with the weight of the Lord's ripped, blood-stained body and working against the clock. And I wrote down here, Joseph used his talents, his gifts, his resources for the Savior and the good of others. While many of you squander your gifts, resources, and God's call on your life, you're squandering it away. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. Last characters, and then we'll close, is the women. In Luke 23, 55 and 56, it said, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph. They saw the tomb, and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes and waited. In, Matthew, in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, it says here, look at this real quickly. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint the body of Jesus very early on the first day of week of the week, just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other this question, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? They had 75 pounds of spikenard ointments and perfumes to anoint a dead body. They did not expect a resurrected Christ. They went to anoint a dead body, and they're going along and they're saying to themselves, how can we even begin to roll the stone away? Some of you in this room need to realize, just like those women, you need to walk out your faith and keep going. Because listen, God has already removed the obstacle that you're worried about. You just keep walking in faith. They fought discouragement. They had questions. They knew they were women. They couldn't move the stone. They knew they couldn't do what they had been called to do, and that was to anoint the body of Jesus Christ and prepare it finally and completely for burial. But boy, I'm thankful that they kept walking because they witnessed the greatest event in all of history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, there are many more characters. We don't have time. Peter, Paul, both of those martyred in Rome. Both of them were murdered for their faith. Andrew, Russia, Asia Minor, Turkey, Greece was where he spent his life. Andrew, the disciple, and then he was crucified. Thomas spent his life in India, and then he was pierced through soldiers' spears. Philip went to North Africa, Asia Minor, and converted the Roman council, proconsul's wife to Christ, and that proconsul had Philip arrested and murdered. Matthew went to Persia and Ethiopia, to Africa, and was stabbed to death. Bartholomew went with Thomas to India, to Armenia, to Ethiopia, to southern Arabia, and was martyred and put to death. James, the son of Alphaeus, went to Syria. Josephus, the Roman historian, said he was stoned and then beaten to death. Simon the Zealot went to Persia, was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias, who took the place of Judas, went to Syria and was burned to death. 
John the Beloved, who was given the care of Mary, lived to be 90 years of age or thereabout, spent his time in Ephesus, and cared for Mary, the mother of Jesus, until she died. And you may say, why didn't his four brothers, his three sisters do that? Because most believe they were all murdered to silence by Rome this thing called Christianity. John the Beloved would ultimately be exiled on the Isle of Patmos where he would write the book of Revelation. And you and I came to church on Easter. And you and I live a narcissistic, self-centered life, caught up in drugs and alcohol, sex and pornography, caught up in extramarital affairs, looking to be accepted at school, in the office, or wherever we are. While this book is paved with the blood of men and women who've given their life. As I said to the men in my men's class today, if I had a dollar for every yawn, I'd be a rich man. The reality is, is that Jesus Christ loves this lost world and has given His life and done everything that He can that you would be saved. But that decision is yours. I close with a story. It's one that was told to be truth. A man years ago, he was a man with the railroad. It's a long, long time ago. And he operated one of those train, trestle-type mechanisms that literally turns this way to connect highways so that people can pass back and forth. And at other times, shifts on their massive gears and is locked in place so ships can pass through. One day, this man who operated this massive piece of machinery, his little boy had begged and begged, Daddy, I want to go with you. I want to go with you. So this man on this particular day picked up his little boy and they went and his little boy was just mesmerized as he sat up there in what looked like a cockpit, an instrument panel, watching his dad and getting ready. And the dad was telling him at a certain time, you'll hear the train whistle, the train is coming and I'll begin to move this and lock it into place so people can, can come across the highway where it was at that time. It was locked into place so the highways were connected. He said, but when I hear the train whistle, he said, at a certain point, I shifted back and forth. At this time, it was shifted this way so ships could pass through. But at a certain point, it would turn so that the railroad track and the highways could be connected. More than anything, an Amtrak train would be able to pass by. That father was there. He was working when all of a sudden he heard the sound of the whistle. He turned around. His little boy was nowhere to be found. He began to look for his boy. He began to holler. He opened the door of that room and he hollered and screamed for his son. He couldn't see his son nowhere. And about that time, he could hear the whistle of the train. That mechanism was locked so that ships could pass through. And now it had to turn and shift on those massive gears in order to connect that railroad tracks and that highway. And all of a sudden, he looked and there was his little boy his little boy had fallen down into the gears, into the mechanism of that massive piece of machinery. He could see that train coming, and that train was coming to a place it could not stop. Hundreds of people were on that train. And that dad, in, in that moment, was faced with a decision. 
Would he let all of those people, hundreds and hundreds of people, would they die in order to save his son or would he give his son? They said that what he did in that moment was sobbing cries and tears. He turned that mechanism and those gears literally took the life of his son in a matter of a moment and set that in place so that that train could go by. That father said as he turned to look at that train passing by, looking in those windows, he could see the dining car where people were sitting and laughing and fellowshipping. Families were sitting together. He could look and see first class, second class, third class, see all those people sitting in there, families, people reading books, people laughing, people eating, people celebrating. They had no idea as they looked back toward that room the tears flowing from that dad who had given his son so that they could live. My friend, let me tell you this today. God loves you so much that he gave his son Jesus Christ for you. But some of us are just like those people on that train. We live our life apathetic and indifferent to the sacrifice that he's made. Some of you, you're... You're that. You're that. Your heart beat away from eternity. And if you've never repented of your sin and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, my friend, listen to me. I want you to listen to me. I've seen a lot of people die. I want you to listen to me. One heartbeat away. You've heard me tell the story of a friend of mine. I was a paramedic. I did CPR an hour and 45 minutes trying to hang on to a man who had told me before he went into eternity that he had never told his son that he loved him. And here I am for an hour and 45 minutes covered in sweat as a young man doing CPR, trying to hang on to him so he could tell his son what he had never told him in his life. Son, I love you. I had to tell his son after we finally, the doctor called it. You're you're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. You're a heartbeat away from eternity. And if you've never given your heart and life to Christ, nothing should keep you from coming today. And if you're here today and you've got family, you've got friends, you've got people back home, they're living a double life or they, listen, I don't care what they're doing, but they're not where they need to be with Christ. You need to run home and you need to begin to talk to them like you never have before because I can tell you this much. In my 60, nearly 68 years of life, I have never seen this world in the mess that it's in right now. And remember, I can remember when a president was assassinated, a civil rights leader was assassinated, and this this country and this world was in a major mess. But I've never seen anything like I'm seeing now. Are you ready? Do you know Christ? Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You, and Lord, we love You and we praise You. Lord, as we've looked at the Easter event, as we've looked at the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we've looked at some of these men and women, these characters that surrounded this moment, Lord, we can see ourselves. And we may look right now and we see We may see ourselves like Judas. We're living our life for material things. We've sold out relationships for the almighty dollar. We're losing our relationship, our connection with the people that we love. Most of all, we're giving our soul away for material things. We're not invested in the things of God. For some of us in this room, we're like Pilate. 
We know what we ought to do. We know what we should do. But those people at the office, those people in the classroom, those people that we work with, those people in our families, we're, we desire so much their acceptance that we're willing to wash our hands of Jesus. Some of us, like Herod, we're consumed with lust. We're consumed with alcohol, with drugs, with pornography, with a sexual relationship or an addiction that is literally taking everything that, that, that God's given us, everything that we value. We spend our life like this. And we pray, dear Lord, that right now that You convict, that You bring brokenness. Father, we pray for others that may be in this room. They don't know Jesus Christ, but Lord, You're dealing with them now. We pray that they'll come today, give their heart and life to You, be saved today. And Lord, may everything be for Your glory. In the name of Jesus, Amen.